addressing a single incident right away is way easier than letting it fester for six months, at which point that cute little s'more-friendly backyard fire has grown into a raging dumpster fire, and it's going to be so hard to put out. It's Julie, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I want to make a really important introduction. I want to introduce you to a tool that is going to change your life, and it's going to improve all your relationships. You're going to wonder how you've managed to live this long without it. And you're going to wonder why you didn't come up with it on your own, because it's really just that simple. And just last week, I was in session with a client. I introduced him to this tool and he was gobsmacked and he said to me, Julie, how many years did it take you to create this? And the truth is it has actually taken years. Like a lot of my resources, they all start out with a need from a client. The need shows up once and then twice and then over and over and over again. Then I create and I build something. I test it out, I measure, and I learn. And I continue that loop, that build, measure, learn cycle. And eventually, a simple concept, uh, hey, I should really create something here, becomes this kick-ass tool, and my clients are gobsmacked years later. So this tool I'm introducing to you today is to address the problem, maybe you've heard about this, all business problems are actually people problems. And it's true. All business problems are actually people problems. At the surface, it might look like you have a resourcing issue or a supply chain issue or a policy or a culture issue. But I promise if you dig deep enough, you get to the root of the problem, it will be a people problem. Now, before I share this tool, let's play a round of have you ever And this is going to help you to determine whether you're going to benefit from this tool and whether this episode is going to change your life. So here we go. I'm going to give you five scenarios and I want to know, have you ever had to deal with this situation at work? All right. So take note of how many of these situations are familiar to you. Ready? Here we go. Number one, have you ever had someone at work not meet a deadline or commitment? Two, have you ever had someone deliver a piece of work that was way below your standards? Three, have you ever had someone throw you under the bus in a meeting when they could have just addressed it with you in private before the meeting? But oh no, they chose to bring it up in front of everyone. Four, have you ever felt paralyzed because you had to give someone difficult feedback and you didn't even know where to start. And lastly, number five, have you ever had someone violate your trust and now you feel like you have to avoid them all the time and work around them? Well, if you've had to even deal with one of these scenarios, then you are in the right place and it is your lucky day and I want to introduce you to relationship design. Now, there's a lot of info in this episode. This is 
I know this is my longest episode ever, so pace yourself. This episode is going to be like a trusty old friend. It's going to always be here for you when you need it, when you need to come back and refresh on any one aspect. And for extra bonus points today, I want you to think of one person that really needs to hear this episode. And I want you to go ahead and I want you to share it with them. So here's a look at what you're going to learn today. First segment, I'm going to explain what this magical relationship design tool is. Second, I'm going to explain how to use it. Third, you'll understand how it actually works. Four, you're going to learn what goes in it and what do we name it. Five, you'll learn how to use it as an access point. Six, you'll learn why it's better than boundaries. Seven, you'll learn advanced applications of how to use it. And then in the wrap-up segment, I answer six frequently asked questions about the tool. So get out of your head, into your heart, and let's dive right in, shall we? All right, we're going to start with what is it? Well, relationship design is an alignment tool to co-create an empowered, intelligent, and dynamic relationship. With relationship design, we don't leave the relationship to chance. We do the opposite. We actually intentionally design the relationship and create an agreement of how you're going to work together. When you use this tool, you identify what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. Where a job description tells us what we're meant to do with our job, our relationship design tells us how we're going to work together. What and when do you communicate? What environment helps you do your best work? What expectations do you have of each other? How will you handle conflict, disappointment, and misunderstanding? What do you do if you're bored in your role? How do you measure success? How do you develop trust with each other? And what do you do if one of you is underperforming? Now, all these things explain why starting a job is so exhausting in that first three to six months. It's not just about learning how to do that new job. No, it's about all the time and energy that it takes to build out all these new relationships, all these new social contracts of how we're going to work together. So whether you're conscious of this process or not, you're actually building new relationships when you start a new role. The difference that I'm proposing here, this intelligent solution, is that instead of creating your relationship through trial and error in that first six months to a year, making assumptions, ticking each other off, doing things the wrong way in order to discover what the right way is, I'm simply offering you a more efficient way to fast track the process. You can create this relationship design intentionally and proactively. You will fast track your trust, your connection, and your psychological safety. Face it, you're already way ahead of the curve. Just being here today on this episode and learning about this tool. second segment, you're going to learn how to create a relationship design agreement. And first off, if you're a client, 
all aboard the easy train because I'm going to give you a whole package of resources to use, a complete relationship design agreement that walks you through the whole process. It has different sections. It outlines the specific questions you need to ask. There are questions about personality and preferences, and you'll learn how to troubleshoot patterns and create situational blueprints. It also teaches you how to fast track trust in the relationship. There's also an explainer video that you can share with your team to explain that tool and introduce it to them before you dive in to use it together. But if you're not coaching with me right now, then I'm going to walk you through the four key steps to use this tool. So first off, I'm going to read them quick and then I'll go through each one in more depth. Okay. So one, you obtain permission. Two, you co-create the agreement. Three, you check in regularly. You use it as an access point for discussion. And four, you redesign as needed. Now, let's go through each one in more depth. Number one, you obtain permission. Ask the other person if they want to use this tool with you. Remember, you're way ahead of the leadership curve here, and they probably haven't done this before. Asking permission is important because this is a co-created process and you need to both be bought into it. If you're the manager, you don't get to just tell the other person what to do. They have to want to do it, okay? Step two, you co-create the agreement. So this is where you decide how you're gonna work together. You each make specific requests of each other and accommodations for each other, and this can be a verbal agreement, or it can be more formal and you can share an actual document that you create together. Remember, this is a two-way street. So if there's hierarchy in the relationship, you need to fade that. And both of you get to make requests. Remember, we're not negotiating their role or responsibilities. We're talking about how the two of you get work done together. So both parties need to agree to everything in the agreement. And together you can discuss how are you going to handle it if one of you breaks the agreement? And this is basically creating a blueprint for how you're going to handle things if they go wrong. For example, if you disappoint me or you go back on your word, what is the best way that we can handle this? And how do I bring this up to you? Step three, you check in regularly. After you create the agreement, then I would suggest that you put a meeting on the calendar pretty soon afterwards, like maybe a month, just to check in and to see if anything needs to be added or if anything is confusing. Then as an ongoing cadence, I would say you could check in maybe quarterly, twice a year. You'll know what feels right. This is very much a front-loaded tool, which means that there's a lot of heavy lifting right up front to create this agreement. And then afterwards, you simply just make small tweaks along the way. Lastly, step four, you redesign as needed. So your relationship is, let's face it, going to evolve and there's gonna be external changes too. So any major change that happens in the company, is going to impact your relationship. So you should check in on that document and redesign it. So here's some examples. When you add a bunch of people to the team, if you subtract or, <laughs> or have layoffs or restructuring in your team or throughout the organization, 
if there is a change in strategy or product offering, if there's changes to major partners, channels, vendors, or if there's external forces like, you know, I don't know, like a global pandemic. All those things are there as great initiators to redesign your conversation. Now, when you have this conversation, it actually becomes a great tool for change management because let's be honest, most of us don't do so well when we have to deal with change management. We very rarely focus on the emotional impact of it, right? We usually jump so quickly to the doing, right? To the what needs to be different, what needs to change. We very rarely focus on the emotional or the human impact of change. So this is a great tool to use to really understand change management. So let's recap those four simple steps. One, obtain permission. Two, you co-create the agreement. Three, you check in regularly. And then four, you redesign as needed. Now that you understand what it is, how to create it, how does it actually work? So relationship design empowers us to do four things. One, it fast tracks relationship building and also understanding of others. Two, we reflect on how our relationships are performing. Three, we discuss the relationship when we get off track or when there's a hot spot. And four, we redefine and we redesign as the relationship evolves. So let's look at each one of those in more depth. So first, we fast track relationship building and understanding of each other. I'm also gonna add here understanding of ourselves because quite often when I go through this with clients, they're a little bit apprehensive because the document is asking them questions that they actually don't even know the answer to for themselves. So. Think about it. When you work with someone new, how long does it take you to really get to know who they are? Is it three months? Is it six months? Maybe it's a year. And more importantly, how long does it take you to actually build trust with them? The longer that you work with a person, the better you're going to know who they are and how they like to work. After a few years, you're going to know all the details that you need to know. But here's the thing, we got there through trial and error. We got there by making a lot of assumptions and a lot of mistakes, by stepping into landmines, by pissing each other off and getting it wrong before we got it right. So with this tool, we bypass all that crap, all the drama, and we just fast track that relationship building and the trust. Secondly, we reflect on how our relationships are performing. Now, I often say that relationships are the root of all business transactions, and I believe that. Relationships are the root of all business transactions. Without this structure to focus on our relationships, we will just by default focus only on doing, right? We only focus on output and delivering work, not on nurturing relationships. When we miss out on this opportunity, it causes burnout and people feel disconnected. As a leader, I want you to invest in doing and in being. Through the simple act of creating this relationship design agreement, you are putting the relationship first 
And that speaks volumes about what type of leader you are and about what you value. Remember earlier I said that all business problems are really just people problems? When you use this tool, you have a structure to constantly reflect on how our relationships are performing. And I know this is a revolutionary concept, but you know, in our business, we focus on financial metrics and goals and KPIs, but most companies don't check in on relationships. We don't measure them. And relationships are the foundation of how work actually gets done. So when you think about it, it's actually a little ridiculous, isn't it? All right. The third way that it works is we get to discuss the relationship when we're off track. Now, I've got to quote Marcus Buckingham here who spoke these words, these simple words, that have never been more true than they are today. People leave managers, not jobs. You know it's true. It feels like a punch in the gut, but it's true. People leave managers, not jobs or companies. Now, I love this saying. However, I personally don't believe that it's always the manager's fault all the time. I believe the fault lies in both the manager and the employee. I could do a whole episode on that and what both parties are doing wrong. But for now, I'll simply say the fault lies with both parties. When someone leaves a team, it's rarely because they didn't like the work they were doing. It's often because of how they were treated by their manager. They didn't feel appreciated or seen or heard, or they weren't given stretch goals and they weren't engaged. Basically, the relationship was lacking because it wasn't there to facilitate those discussions. The challenge is that people weren't empowered to speak up. So the solve for this is simple. More communication and better quality conversations, more transparent relationships. Okay, the fourth and the last way that relationship design works is that we get to redefine and redesign as the relationship evolves. These days, change really is the only constant in the workplace. So we need to be nimble and we need to be able to embrace change at all times. Many of you, you don't need to get any smarter. You don't need to develop any more hard skills, but you do need to up-level your game on soft skills. When you think about unhealthy conflict that happens in the workplace, how much of that conflict comes from a lack of hard skills versus a lack of soft skills? Think about it. The truth is that at the heart of all of that unhealthy conflict at work, it's miscommunication. It's lack of empathy and understanding, a lack of trust and plenty, probably too many, assumptions. Are disconnected employees loyal employees? No. Are disconnected employees productive employees? Nope. Will a disconnected employee come to you and tell you they're not engaged and they really need some stretch goals to feel more valued and challenged? Nope, probably not. Will a disconnected employee have a courageous conversation to sort out a misunderstanding? Nope, it'll probably turn out to be gossip, side conversations, and blaming. So you get to use this tool to redefine and redesign as the relationship and needs evolve. All right, so now that you're all aboard the relationship design train, what goes in it 
and what do we call it? So let's start with the what goes in it. I have seven sections. Here we go. Number one, start by including a vision for the relationship. What is it that you both want? Where are you going? We would never start a business without a vision, without knowing where we were going. So why would we start a relationship without one? Two, working and communication preferences. This is important. We don't all have the same personalities and we're not all going to have the same preferences. Three, trust. How do you build trust? What erodes your trust? As I often say, if you don't have trust, you don't have a relationship. Four, have a section on giving and receiving feedback. All feedback is not created equal. You need to give it based on the preference of the person receiving it, just like our love languages, right? Five, have a section dedicated to motivation, appreciation, respect, and loyalty. All of these are important topics and they all need to be addressed. Six, discuss how you're going to deal with conflict. Like it or not, there are going to be hot spots over the course of your working relationship. So we need to get clear on how we're going to deal with them, not try to step over them. And seven, situational blueprints. This is where we prepare for future scenarios or milestones or challenges by deciding in advance how we're going to handle them. So that's a look at what goes in this agreement. Let's talk about what we call it. So as you've heard in this episode, I'm calling it the relationship design tool. Now I love this word design because it's a noun and a verb and it captures the fact that relationships are always constantly changing and dynamic. Selfishly, for me, it also fits into my product line of tools that I've created over the years. Life design, conversation design, change design. So for me, it's just strategically part of my product line. You can take the girl out of marketing, but you'll never take the marketing out of this girl. So if you don't like the term that I'm using, relationship design, that's cool. You can completely call it anything your little heart desires. Pick something that feels comfortable and right to you, okay? It should fit in with your culture and your industry. So here's a few suggestions of some other terms that you might like better. Rules of engagement, team norms, relationship contract, social contract, partnership agreement, code of conduct, collective agreement, team charter, designed alliance, or, you know, even relationship thingy. It doesn't really matter what you call it so long as you create one. Use it consistently and then redesign as you need. All right, up until now, we've talked about creating the relationship design agreement, about how you're going to work with someone. But just like a Swiss army knife, this tool can be used in so many different ways. So in this segment, number five, I'm gonna explain how to use it as an access point to discuss the relationship when it goes off track. Now I know some of you are awesome when it comes to courageous and awkward conversations. That is amazing. However, I also know that a lot of you will avoid them like the plague. Now, I'd say at least half of my clients 
identify courageous conversations as one of the goals that they want to work on. So even those people who are doing them are really not loving them. So I'm convinced that 80%, most of the struggle anyways, comes from taking that first step, from initiating that tough conversation. And then once we're in the conversation, you know, we're usually all good. It's the thinking about the conversation, the anticipation, the stressing, the worrying how the other person is going to react. We envision all the different ways that it could go wrong, right? You know, all that saboteur garbage. And here's a little dose of tough love. Putting off a conversation or avoiding specific feedback because it's uncomfortable for you, well, that's a leadership fail. Ouch, that really hurts, doesn't it? But it's true. By avoiding an uncomfortable conversation or avoiding giving out negative feedback, we're actually doing that person a disservice. Our job as their leader is to give them the feedback in good times and in bad. And if we don't give them the feedback because you know, we're uncomfortable with it, we are failing. Now, another important reason is that addressing a single incident right away is easier than letting it fester for six months, at which point that cute little s'more-friendly backyard mini fire grows into a raging dumpster fire, and it is going to be so much harder to put out. So here's how to use this tool as an access point. So you've started out, you have your relationship design agreement with one of your direct reports, and let's say your boss is riding you constantly about keeping expenses down. And as much as you don't want to be that like money stickler, you kind of have to keep a lid on things, right? So in your relationship design, you knew this, and so you were crystal clear. You said, you know what, any requests, any expenditures that are over 5K, I need you to get them pre-approved by me so I can always keep an eye on all of our expenses. So you're kind of pissed when you notice that a team member put through an expense for 10 grand, which violated your agreement. So the power comes here. You don't have to call them out for their mistake. You don't have to ask why. There's no discomfort. There's no confusion required. There's no shaming, no blaming, no assumptions. It's just a fact, and it looks like this. Remember back when we set our relationship design agreement? I requested that any expenses greater than 5K needed to be pre-approved. I noticed on your expense report that you put a charge through for 10 grand. Can you help me understand that? Then you dive into the discussion to figure it out because there might be a perfectly logical reason why they did that. So relationship design is an access point to bring up anything because you've already made a two-way agreement about it. All right, welcome to segment six. Now, I don't know if you know this, But I have a podcast parking lot, and it contains all the topics that I really am dying to do an episode on. There's about mm, 30 topics in there right now. Things like the reality distortion field, the illusion of vulnerability, uh, control as an illusion, defensiveness, understanding your emotions, and there's a juicy one called the dark side of boundaries which we're going to talk about right now. 
So for some time, I have wanted to do a rant-isode, not just an episode, a rant, a complete rant-isode on boundaries. But I'm going to tuck it all up here in this segment that we are talking about relationship design because I think that this is the best place to put it. And as you're learning about relationship design, I think you're going to understand why. Now, it might sound strange for me to do a rantisode on boundaries because boundaries are powerful and they give people a chance to express themselves. And yes, they are. They're an expression of self-love. And yes, yes, they are. But here's my two complaints about boundaries. First, I think they get misused and they get expressed in an aggressive, one-way, ultimatum-y kind of tone. And when I see people enforce them, they do it in a way that's really uh, ego-driven, angry, and frantic. You know what I'm saying? It feels more aggressive and confrontational than it is empowering and liberating. And I point this out because I think this how that we're doing boundaries, I think it's giving them a bad rap. So let me explain with a personal story. So I had someone on the phone a while ago and our chat was wrapping up. We were ping-ponging times back and forth of when we were going to meet again. When unknowingly, you know, silly me, I suggested we meet next Wednesday. And he freaked out. He told me that he doesn't take meetings on Wednesdays, that that is his boundary. And he got really angry. And then he said, I think we should just put this whole thing off. And that was really frustrating for me because he was the one that contacted me out of the blue. I was doing him seemingly a favor. So I get it. I get that he has a boundary of no meeting Wednesdays. That's awesome. Like, good for you. But the energy around him enforcing this boundary with me felt like I had made some major violation of a boundary that I didn't even know about. And this is common. I see this all the time. The energy with which people set boundaries is frantic. It's confrontational. And I don't think that this really does people a service when they give off this type of energy. It's as if their entire lifetime of them struggling to set a boundary has been held back like this giant dam of water. And all the strength, all the power has been bottled up over the years and held back by this big massive wall. And then boom! They release the fury of that wall and they boundary vomit all over you. Yeah, I just said boundary vomit. A boundary can be so simply explained without making the other person feel like they violated you. So that is my first complaint about boundaries. Oh yeah, there's more. The how that we do them is confrontational. My second complaint about boundaries is that most people jump off to enforce a boundary without having set a boundary. I'm going to say that again. Most people jump to enforcing a boundary without having first set or even communicated a boundary. And that's kind of like handing out a parking ticket when you haven't even put up a sign to say, hey, there's no parking here. We missed a step and it's kind of an important step. So if you don't want colleagues to send you an email over the weekend, you know, that's cool. You just formally make a request and you say, hey, I don't like getting emails over the weekend. And you confirm that they understand that. Then if they do violate your boundary, then you can boundary vomit all over them. Now, you likely can see where I'm heading with all of this, right? 
I believe, and obviously I'm biased here, but I believe that a strong relationship design is way more powerful than boundaries because you give people the chance to understand you and why you're making these requests. And I don't know about you, but I would rather sit down and have one dedicated, fully present conversation about all the things than having someone drip feed me requests here and there, like big and small, over the course of three or six months, mashing up doing requests with being requests. And then it's always task switching back and forth and I can't keep track. I find that exhausting. It's like death by a thousand cuts. Having a single dedicated conversation when we're both in an emotionally neutral state feels much more accessible to me. So I think that using relationship design instead of boundaries is more collaborative. What if they set a boundary and then you set a boundary and your boundaries conflict with each other, then whose boundary do you go with? Do you outboundary each other? It's just like a total gong show, right? So to sum up my rant episode on boundaries, one, they don't need to be aggressive when you set them. And two, we need to set them and communicate them before we enforce them with someone. And yeah, I do humbly believe that relationship design is a way more powerful way to approach relationships than boundaries. It's more inclusive, it's more dynamic, and it's collaborative. All right. Thanks for letting me sneak that little rant episode in here. Now I've only got 29 topics left on my podcast, Parking Lot. All right, segment seven. Now we're going to talk about some advanced applications of this tool. This is where we get a little bit fancy. So roll up your sleeves. So by now, at this point, you should have the basics down of what a relationship design is, why we do it, how we create one, you're good to go, right? You're good to go with the tool. You know how to use it with a colleague or a peer or a direct report. So if you are in information overload and your eyes are bugging out and you're just not focusing anymore, you can go ahead and tap out of the rest of this episode. In this segment, I get a little fancy and I talk about four different advanced ways to use relationship design, all right? Number one, you use it with a client implementation. So this applies if you have a services business and you have really high value enterprise clients. Using this tool will ensure that your clients are happy clients. And if there's ever a problem, you'll find out sooner rather than later. So let's say if you're working on a, I don't know, an eight month engagement, and you don't want to find out at the end of that eight months that client wasn't happy. Here's a scenario that I see happen a lot, especially in software companies. Everything's going along swimmingly and client is thrilled with their service and their product and then something really small and seemingly insignificant happens at the end of the installation. Or sometimes everything's going well, but then they get a little bit of sticker shock when they see that final invoice. And then they go back and they claim that they actually weren't happy throughout the entire project. They just throw out the baby with the bathwater. Now, I find this heartbreaking. After your team has worked so hard for so long, 
But what can you do now that all this time has passed? Wouldn't it be nice if there was a way to respond back to them with this? Well, actually, we checked in with you at the end of months one through seven and asked you how satisfied you were, and you said 10 out of 10 which allows you to point out, in fact, that they actually weren't unhappy with the entire project. It was only something small that happened near the end. Or better yet, we use relationship design to gauge their satisfaction along the way, which will probably even prevent the whole problem from happening. Now, in the event that the client actually wasn't happy, say from month one or two, then wouldn't you rather find out in month one or two rather than going the whole project and finding out later on. So this is where relationship design at the start of the implementation with regular check-in points along the way will make sure that your client is a happy client and you will run interference on any issues that happen or pop up along the way. So second application is when we use relationship design to prime a client to be referenceable. As the saying goes, great work follows great work. And if you do great work, there's no one better suited to rave about your business than a client to another potential client. It's a beautiful thing when that happens. With relationship design, you can actually manage these expectations up front. And you're able to say, hey, we want to make sure that you're 100% satisfied with the work that we do. And we want to encourage you to do a case study at the end. So what would it take for you to be satisfied enough to do a case study at the end? Be smart here, plant this seed up front, and then you have the exact criteria of what it's going to take for that client to refer you or do a case study. Now then at the end of the implementation, you've got an access point to start this conversation. You've met all their criteria and you dive right into that case study. Now in software sales, this was always a contentious issue because there's different parties in the company that are interacting with that company, right? So how do you decide when is that right time to approach them for that reference or case study? What if that implementation is going a little bit shaky? What if they're unhappy with their customer care? What if they're late on payment? Take all the guesswork out of this and decide up front. All right, the third advanced application is when you are, this is my world, when you're teaching or you're facilitating a group. Now, I'll never forget, ah, years ago this happened, like maybe 15 years ago, I was at an offsite and as an employee and we had a facilitator come in for the day and everything started out great. We did this awesome team building exercise and he was really engaging. He brought people together and all the smart people got to prove how smart they were. And then something shifted in the dynamic and the facilitator got tripped up when he couldn't answer a question. And I mean, quite frankly, I didn't really care about this. I didn't really even notice, but my colleagues, they were not having any of it. They could smell the fear and they were like shark circling blood-filled water. The energy of the room that day shifted and people started to turn on him. And it ended up being a really messy day. So lesson learned. Whenever I'm working with a team or a group, I always design upfront that, hey, I'm not perfect. 
I will likely make mistakes, and if I do, please point them out to me and correct me. Now, this might seem counterintuitive because, you know, you're being brought in as an expert, so you should be perfect, right? Uh Uh-uh. Remember, no one ever tries to chop down a seedling for firewood. They go after the old, well-established tree. And if you show up with the arrogance and the ego like that old, established tree, you make yourself a prime target and people are going to want to chop you down. Take your vulnerability with you when you facilitate. I promise it will be your greatest resource. All right, number four, the last application of relationship design that is advanced is when you're working with a cross-functional team, oh, what fun, on a particular project. Now, in a lot of companies, cross-functional teams can be really highly charged situations. There's a lot of posturing, there's fighting over control, empire building, decision-making, and a lot of conflict of authority. If you use relationship design here, it's a really powerful way to commit each other to how you're going to show up. So when you're creating your initial project charter, I want you to add in a section called how, which is your relationship design content. And here's a few things to ask or agree on in that section. One, what do we need from each other for this project to succeed? This is where you answer things like honesty, sharing of all data. Two, what don't we want present during our meetings or this project? And this could be no side conversations, no gossip, no posturing. You go on and on and on. Three, have you ever had any challenges in the past with a group like this or another group where misalignment happens? How could we prevent that from happening? Four, can we all agree to operate under these commitments? Yep. And then number five, if we do believe that someone's not living up to these commitments, how are we going to handle it? Do we email them? Do we bring it up in our next weekly meeting? Put it in the Slack channel? How do we handle it? So in my experience, the main cause of failure with cross-functional initiatives is actually a lack of communication and an excess of ego-driven behavior. Surprise, surprise. It's a competition for limited resources. So Incorporating these simple questions into your project charter, total game changer, okay? All right, so that is it. Those are your four advanced and ultra fancy ways to use relationship design. One, client implementation. Two, priming a client to be referenceable. Three, when you're teaching or facilitating group. And four, that super fun cross-functional project. All right, it's time to start wrapping up this episode. This is the last segment, I promise. I know that you have just gone through a lot of content. I hope you don't feel flooded or overwhelmed. Just remember the four simple steps. You obtain permission, you co-create the agreement, you check in regularly, and then you redesign as you need. So before I wrap up, I'm going to address some of the frequently asked questions that I always get with relationship design. And please don't get freaked out if you feel like I'm actually reading your mind. I'm not. I just actually do this a lot. So I have six questions for you. Here we go. Number one, do I really have to do this? It sounds like a lot of work. Well, yeah, it actually is a lot of work and it's going to take a lot of time up front. 
However, proactively doing this type of work in a non-charge neutral state, well, it's going to be a lot less work than dealing with a dumpster fire of conflict or performance. And tough love, is it really the work that you're resisting here or are you just feeling resistance to being vulnerable with your colleagues? Two, well, we're not actually having any problems right now, so do I really need to go to all this bother? Yes, actually, yes, you do. And I take your concern. You've just onboarded a new team member. You want to have a honeymoon period with them. You don't want to talk about all the problems that could happen someday down the road, right? That would be a killjoy. But remember, relationships are dynamic. They're constantly changing. Dealing with this in advance shows your new rock star employee that you care, that you care a lot. Think of it as an insurance policy. Question number three. Well, I'm the more senior person in this relationship, so can I just complete the document and then send it to my direct report? Uh, no. And also, you need to go back and listen to this entire episode because you missed the fact that I said co-created 11 times. The whole purpose of this relationship design is that you do it together. You're both involved in creating it and providing input and compromises. So you can take time, you can go through the document in advance, you can make notes of what you want. I'll actually give you bonus points for that because it shows that you've actually put reflection time into this beforehand. However, if you are gonna do that, make sure that the other person has the chance to reflect and do the same so that you're both on equal footing, okay? Question four, can I use relationship design with team members that I've worked with for years? Yes, yes, you can. Now, it might look different than doing it with someone who's brand new. It might be shorter, but actually it might be longer because there's an opportunity for real-time reflection with your team members. You can add in these types of prompts. Over the past years, when have we worked best together? What was present? When have we had moments of conflict and challenge? Looking back, what can we both own and do differently in the future? See how rich that is? Question five, can I use relationship design with my whole team at once? Well, in your day-to-day role as a manager, no. I would prefer that you do this tool one-to-one so that you're building individual relationships with each member of your team. And yeah, I know that's a lot of work. But if you just create a joint relationship with you and the other eight team members, then it's kind of like treating them all as a single unit that all have the same needs. And we know that they don't. So just like you have your one-on-one meetings with everyone, these one-on-one relationship design agreements are the foundation for those. So no, I wouldn't suggest doing it as a group. One exception to this would be if you've taken your team in an offsite session for team building or strategy, then I would 100% create an agreement for that because we typically want to show up differently so that you have a group agreement on that. And then layering on some team development, you can do things like core values, trust building exercises, personality dimensions. You can do all kinds of other tools as a team, but those are more team development, not the one-to-one relationship design. All right. And lastly, last question, question number six. So this whole thing, 
it seems really squishy. I know my team is not going to take this seriously, so do I really have to do it? So this question, if it's popping up, is coming from your saboteur. So I'd like this opportunity to speak directly to your saboteur, if that's all right. Hey, saboteur, thank you for your input. I deeply hear and appreciate your concern. I know that you're scared, and I know that you're worried that people are going to laugh at you. But that is just fear. It's not reality. Now go, take a hike. You know that deep down, every single time you take a risk, something amazing happens from it. And yeah, this feels a little scary, feels a little emo, a little vulnerable, but the risk is always worth it. You've got this. All right, that's it for the questions. And now... I want to know who is the one person that you're going to do this with, right? It could be anyone. It could be a work relationship or a personal relationship, old or new relationship. It's up to you. Did you pick someone? Great. Now I want you to send them this episode and initiate a relationship design conversation in the next week. Yeah, you got this. All right. And if you've been listening to this episode and you want to be a better leader to your team, or you want to have a better understanding of yourself, then let's talk about how we can work together. Head over to my website and book a consult with me. I would love to hear from you. This is my jam. I love this stuff. I love helping professionals who are growth junkies just like me and love to learn. All right, remember, this is a powerful tool, but it only really works if you do the work. So step out of your comfort zone. And if you want things to be different, you have to do them differently. So thanks for tuning in today. And I will see you soon with another episode, more tools, more resources, and more juicy stories.